The film which you are about to see is an account of the tragedy which befell a group of five youths, in particular Sally Hardesty and her invalid brother Franklin. It is all the more tragic in that they were young. But had they lived very, very long lives, they could not have expected, nor would they have wished to see as much of the mad and macabre as they were to see that day. For them, an idyllic summer afternoon drive became a nightmare. The events of that day were to lead to the discovery of one of the most bizarre crimes in the annals of American history. Mrs. French's cat is missing. The signs are posted all over town. Have you seen Honey? We've all seen the posters, but nobody has seen Honey the cat. You like Huey Lewis in the news? Their early work was a little too new wave for my taste. But when sports came out in 83, I think they really came into their own, commercially and artistically. Whatever Lorraine sees, feels, touches, it takes a toll on her. A little piece each time. You have a lot of spirits in here. But there's one that I'm most worried about because it is so hateful. Come to us. We are ready. Are you? What's with the, the get up? Oh, I do it blend in. You know, you know, zombies don't mess with other zombies. Buddy of mine, makeup guy, showed me how to do this. Cornstarch, you know, some berries, a little licorice for the ladies. It suits my lifestyle. You know, I like to get out and do stuff. Just play nine holes in the Riviera. Just walk down. Nobody there. I don't know what the hell's in there, but it's weird and pissed off, whatever it is. I am so, so sorry for everything that has happened. In spite of what Mike says now, it is my fault. Because it was my project. And I insisted. I insisted on everything. Hello, everybody, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and they do film studies type analysis of films that you will never study in a film studies course. <laughs> and this is no exception this week. We're looking at Rob Zombie's most unusual uh, addition to his filmography. I guess we can say that much, yeah? Uh, yeah. Lords of Salem. Lords of Salem. But before we get into all of that, we are going to have to do some introductions. I begin to my left, if you would, sir. My name is Dalton Stewart, and I can't think of any lines from this movie I can quote and remain a member of my family. So I will not. <laughs> Thank you very something, much. Something, 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 Deathbringer, and... Book of Lies. <laughs> I just got a tingle. <laughs> I can feel disapproving eyes on me. Across the table, if you would, ma'am. My name is Alexander Bohannon, and in Ukraine, music is always delivered in wooden box. <laughs> thank you, thank you very much. Wunderbar. 
And guys, we've got to get this show wrapped up, you know, or I'm going to get another a ticket from the warden for DWS. Driving while sexy. <laughs> so we're going to move right along and we're going to talk about the Lords of Salem. Now, dear listener, I need to warn you, this is not a review show where we give the review of how this movie may or may not work and whether or not you want to see it or not. This is an analysis show, which means we're going to do spoilerific spoilerage um, in as much as that is a thing. Yeah, this is not really a plot-heavy movie. So, but spoiler alert, it's Gwyneth Paltrow's head in the box. <laughs> there you go. True statement that he makes right there on a sled. It's very strange. But we're going to talk about that ending as we get there. So you've been warned we're going to do a quick uh, synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema and also our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. We are not joined tonight by uh, The Voice of the Cinema, Mr. Arthur Gordon, though he did send us via MP3 uh, a copy of that um, synopsis so the video or rather the audio quality may be a little off but I think you'll recognize that it's Arthur Gordon and so here it is Heidi a radio DJ is sent a box containing a record a gift from the Lords that sounds within grooves triggers flashbacks of our town's violent past is Heidi going mad or are the Lords back to take revenge on Salem Massachusetts thank you Mr. Arthur Gordon for that great synopsis. We hope you get back to us soon. And feel better. They chose that over just having me read it. Shocker there. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. It's still funny. Yeah. Uh, Arthur, uh, what happened to you? <laughs> uh, uh, we really do hope that um, they they are reattached later. It's a very... <laughs> It's a very tightly compressed audio file. That's right. It's, there, there's definitely tight compression going on. That's for certain. <laughs> All right, guys. Let's move on and do our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews. Whether we like this film or not, this is one of those rare movies for the Good Trash Genre cast, where we actually all were able to see this movie together. My two co-hosts for the first time, myself for the second or third time. And so that's going to be, that's, that was an interesting dynamic as well. So Arthur was there too. He was there, but he's not here now. Therefore, he's dead to us, and we're not going to speak of him ever again. Ms. Alexandra Bohannon, what do you say? Thumbs up, thumbs down, does it work, or does it not? It works, but it's just not my thing. And that's the point that I will concede. I'm sure that others would echo my opinion. It's just, I, I can see on all these levels that it's good. And I know that it does what it does really well. Um, it has some excellent edits for sound and soundtrack. Like, they really amp up the the tone and this, this oppressive mood of the movie. And I feel like that really works the... I would love to just applaud the women that were able to portray those witches, characters that normally are not able to portray because they're always stereotyped as these, like, nice British grannies. And so they were able to play these roles that, you know, had Rob Zombie not approached them, they probably wouldn't have been able to experience. One of those, listener, is in fact Elliot's mom. From E.T. that right now actually um and i just 
the rest of it worked. The plot is admittedly bare, but, you know, the visual imagery and the, uh, yeah, the, 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 the stuff, like all of this screwed upness that comes with the rest of the movie. I mean, we're it, trying to tiptoe around the spoilers in case you decide to pause between now and analysis. But listener, there's some some shit. It, yeah, it, it gets and weird, it y'all. The band. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it does. Times. Splatters on the wall, yeah, in lots of places. Right. Um. It, it was just. It was good. It just isn't my thing. So I will give it. You know, eight mysterious records out of sixteen. Very good. Thank you very much, Miss Bohan and Mr. Dalton Stewart. What do you say? Does it work for you? And why or why not? Holy wackadoo shit, Batman. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, this movie, guys. I don't even... I'm trying to think of the last time we did something on this show that I had a similar reaction to. I'm gonna say Barbarian Sound Studio. It was probably the last time we watched a movie for the show, and the entire time I was just like, I don't know what's happening, and I don't think I care. Um... That's not to say I like this movie as much as I like that movie, because I love me some Barbarian Sound Studio. Listener, if you never got around to catching up on that, do that. Um, also our episode. Yes. Lords of Salem is not bad. I wouldn't go as far as to say it's great. It's pretty damn good, though. Um, it's certainly the artiest movie that Rob Zombie has ever made by a long shot. And it is arty as I'll get out, listener, uh, both in terms of the sparseness of uh, the plot both in terms of how starkly visual it is and how unconventionally visual it is. Um, and really, it's unconventional in a lot of ways, but it's kind of conventional in its unconventionality, if that makes sense. Yes. I think Rob Zombie's um, doing a lot of covers of a lot of different movies, uh, oh, particularly like in the that. last 30 minutes. For sure. I think he's particularly uh, The Shining, uh, particularly... Rosemary's Baby, which I've admittedly not seen, but I'm aware of uh, some of the more famous shots and such from the film. Um, there's a lot of familiar images and a lot of familiar ways images are arranged in this film, I guess is what I'm getting at. Uh, so if you've seen a lot of movies, you're going to be like, oh, that makes sense why he would choose to do that. If you've not seen a lot of movies, particularly not a lot of horror movies, this is going to melt your face off. And I'm, still, <laughs> I'm aware of a lot of the things this was referencing, and it still <clears throat> melted my face off because it's so gonzo and bonkers. I just, it's absolute insanity, guys. And I liked it. I liked it a lot. It's weird and it's creepy. It's not particularly scary. Um, it's very unsettling. It's very unsettling. Yeah. Um, it's I a think word where you'll use uh, more later. It's more of a chiller. Yeah, than a thriller, yeah. precisely. Uh, chiller is a, a very appropriate way to describe it. Uh, finally, I do want to make one comment. Okay, Rob. We got it. You think Sherry's hot. That's fine. You... You actually think one particular aspect of Sherry is hot. Uh, we understand. We've got the message. We've been informed. I also find her attractive. Stop. Please stop. Stop. I'm done. She seems like a nice lady. Maybe tone down the male gaze a little bit. A little bit. Just, you know, I know it's your wife, but we're also gazing, so I don't know. It's not that big of a deal, but it's just a little bit distracting. I don't know if it would be as distracting if you didn't know that's his wife. Because then it's just something you would see in another horror movie. Well, if he movie. didn't do it in all of his movies, if we weren't always yeah, thinking, here's the thing where he does that thing that he does. That's a good that point. That he always that's does. That's a good point. So I don't know. Um, I, I don't think it's 
you know, impacts the quality of the film by any means. It's just distracting yeah, for and, me and, as a viewer. And for me as a woman, it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Like, the main, the opening sequence, you pan into Heidi, and she's laying face down on her bed, and her, her butt's just in the air. Like, and where, and her pants are like, down her somewhere. I like. I don't know. It's like well, it's, she's actually flat out nude, except for oh, like the right. thigh high stockings. That's right. Because when you go to bed, you cannot. You, you know, you don't need. If pants. you sleep in the nude, you have to leave your socks on. You don't need shirt, but you need thigh highs. Apparently, I think I was thinking of a different scene, but yeah, it was just like I don't know. I don't feel like it's a great introduction to even. I mean, Heidi's not the most developed character. I'll be the first to admit it. Nobody but, in this movie's developed though. Right. Um. But even that being said, like, the slice of character we get from her, I don't feel like that really exoner ex Exon exemplifies, I was going to say exonerates for some reason, That's I don't weird. know. Yeah, exemplifies what she's about, Yeah, really, yeah. besides just being ass. <laughs> she has one. That we all do, hopefully. Yes, I sit on mine. Because you know I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, no trouble. I'm all about that bass, about that bass, 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 bass. Well, what I would say about the movie is it's my host pick, and I really wanted to pick it because it's not like most of the horror films that we see. No. It's no. it's not, and it's I, I did very much also like Barbarian Sound Studio, which was also a pick that I made. Uh, back last year, Shocktober. And uh, incorrect. It was actually it was post. It was anti trash. It was anti trash. That's right. Yeah. It was following Shocktober. That wasn't. Are you right. saying Bavarian? <clears throat> yes. Barbarian. Barbarian. Not Bavarian. No. Okay, I was hearing. Bavarian. Not baklava either. Yeah. I was hearing a bunch of different things. Yeah, it is Barbarian. Barbarian. Okay. Sound Studio. As in of Burberry. Uh, right. I don't know. I don't it's, know. In, it's in Italy. So what does yeah. that mean? Okay. Yeah. Moving on. <clears throat> And uh, so I wanted to pick it because it's a high visual style, and I found that to be interesting. It's sort of elliptical in its editing and uh, elusive in its narrative. And so I thought, well, I wanted at least to struggle with one of the films as to what happens. Not with the ambiguous ending, whether or not the killer lived or dies, sort of ambiguity, but just really what's happening. Yeah. And to actually really be wondering that question. And to be somewhere between unsettled and upset, to be upsettled by a film. I, I wanted that to happen. And it does those things, and that's why I like it. You hear the word ambiguous thrown around a lot, listener. Mm -hmm. uh, we even said a couple times when talking about The Grey, not a particularly ambiguous film. And we're not talking about ambiguous in the sense of uh, how did that turn out. Right, what, what the last event is. That's, not, that's a different kind of ambiguous. We're talking about the ambiguity where you have no idea what the fuck is going on for literally the whole movie. The whole movie. Confirmed. And even if you watch it eight times, you're probably still not going to know what's happening. Because you're not supposed to. Is it real? Is it a dream? Is it's it... one of those... It's yeah. uh, we, we use the word uh, tone poem to describe some strange films sometimes. I think I might have used that word when we were talking about Days of Heaven. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, some films you're not supposed to fully wrap your brain around. You're just supposed to kind of go with it. Well, and, and this is one of those sorts of movies. And exactly. so that's why I picked it. So I, I like it very, very much. And so um, I will probably all I would give it a little higher rating than Alex does. I'd probably give it a uh, fourteen uh, demon record boxes out of eighteen. Uh, I like it a whole lot, but it's not perfect. Well, I was gonna save my rating for once we got to shelf for trash elsewhere instead. But I guess since everybody else did it, uh, I'll, to, to round out our, our quick reviews, I'll give uh, Lords of Salem three and a half priest dildos out of five. There you go. <laughs> 
<laughs> That'll make sense if you've seen this. You'll be very confused if you haven't. What I want to know is what he's doing with the other half of a priest dildo. But we're moving right along. Um, it's to... between me and my god, Dustin. Well, on that wonderful note, we're going to move right along to sure. our analysis. And we're going to break this movie open... And we're going to talk about what's going on with it critically. And now this time, uh, sometimes what we do with critical analysis is, is that we talk about sort of the meaning of narrative. And we're kind of, uh, we're, we're, we're met with opposition here. And so we're going to be doing a very interesting and different sort of critical analysis than maybe that you're used to. But we'll hear more about that from my first co-host, Mr. Dalton Stewart, if you would, sir. Well, you know, I just kind of want to touch on, on something real quick, and Dustin alluded to that. When we do critical analysis of a film, or really when, when anyone does critical analysis of anything, a lot of the times uh, on this show we'll talk about whether or not the film intended something, or whether or not we're bringing that to the film, which is something that happens a lot when you do critical analysis. Sometimes the subtext is less sub and just more text. Um, the problem with a film or a work of art like Lords of Salem is there is no subtext. Shit, there really isn't much of a text at all. Um, it's kind of like stumbling through rainbow braille. You just kind of got to figure it out, if that makes sense. Um, so a lot of our analyses, particularly mine, I, I mean, I had to go fishing for my analysis. I really did. Um, because I don't think, and I don't mean this as a slide against the man, I don't think Rob Zombie's trying to say anything with this film. I just think he's trying to, to chill you. And that's fine. Um, and he does it quite well, and he makes a, a very interestingly put-together film, and an arty film. Um... I don't think he's trying to say anything. And when you're met with something like that, as Dustin said, you can't really analyze the film as a whole. You can't really analyze the plot or the narrative in a lot of ways. You kind of have to figure it out yourself because you do meet so much opposition from the film. Well, you're left with other tools. You can reckon with music. You can reckon with the visuals. You can reckon with other pieces mm -hmm. of the movie. But that, that sort of most sturdy and uh, solid and stable uh, piece that we usually hang our hats on with analysis is because we come from sort of a literary background, all of us, uh, in our approach anyway. Even though Dal Dalton has a sociology degree, he still also ma mainly uses sort of a literary approach uh, to films. And that, that's, that's fine. Um, but that does... Uh, thwart us in the case of Lords of Salem. So think about films where we kind of narrow in on a particular topic. I think uh, about Ghostbusters being one example of a film where we really narrowed in on something specific. Uh, I, I think Lords of Salem, though, is the one that put up the most walls, uh, if not ever, at least in a quite a long time. Mm -hmm. um, you know, The Grey, we all kind of talked about the narrative of that film and that said. With Lords of Salem, for me, what I kind of focused in on um, was this representation uh, of systems of power. Uh, now, that's something we've talked about on the show a little bit before, uh, but specifically, I, I want to, I, I focused on, rather, how the film really kind of makes all of these systems of power and these systems of powerful people inaccessible uh, to Heidi. Um, because she can't go to anybody in this film. She doesn't go to the police. She didn't even think to. Um, the one kind of societal system she tries to, to access for help uh, is a Catholic church. Um, and as part of her, you know, ongoing possession or uh, brainwashing, I don't, I don't really, I don't know what happens, so it's not important, though. As part of her ongoing mental tribulation, um, she dreams and has a vision that she is a sexually assaulted, sexually assaulted yeah. uh, by a demon priest who vomits black goo. Um, which is really a horrifying moment. That you, does happen that, in the movie. That's some shit that happens. Um, 
and that's the one time she tries to to access kind of a formal system. Uh, we see her go to a, an NA or an AA meeting early in the film, um, but but in terms of like quote unquote uh, normal, I, that's the wrong word. Standard your your standard systems of helpingness, uh, the police, um, religion, services. social services. She goes to religion and finds that it is not going to help her um, due to abuse. And that was something I started to think about. Um, the only other really major system of power and the system of the system, if you will, the system of the man uh, that we see is Nathaniel Hawthorne um, back in 16-whatever. Jonathan Hawthorne. Jonathan Hawthorne, sorry. The other one was the one that wrote uh, the books. Uh, but Jonathan Hawthorne, who I don't actually think was the name of the actual Hawthorne no. at Salem, um, we see him, you know, put setting some people on fire. So we have two systems, one being just kind of religion as we know it today, and the other one kind of being this confusing mixture of uh, the system of government and religion at the same time, kind of this theocratic uh, system. And what we see is, you know, abuses of the systems that are supposed to help and protect us, and that can keep people at arm's distance. And that was something I kind of, I, the more I thought about this film, the more I thought of is Heidi doesn't have a lot of resources, Um. Because these systems that are supposed to help people uh, have a tendency to abuse people, uh, or at the very least not be helpful enough and allow them to continue to be abused, if that makes sense. Now, again, I don't think the film is saying this, but I think if that's kind of some subtext going on here uh, as we look at all these systems. The only system that seems to work is in AA, uh, which she is, seems to be a pretty successful member of early in the film. But that's really a kind of, it's not a proper system. It is very mm -hmm. loosely affiliated. Uh, it just... It works if you work it, and it's up to right. the members of the group to work it. Uh, whereas you see these systems of government, these systems of religion, uh, which are much more controlling in nature, much more centralized in their power, uh, have a tendency sometimes, uh, and this, you know, I'm not making this up, we know that this happens, uh, to e either directly abuse people or through inaction uh, or lack of proper action allow people to continue to be abused. And sometimes it's just not really a viable means of help. Uh, and that's something we see in this film is, is Heidi is clearly needing some help. Um, probably from a, a buster of ghosts or an exorcist. Uh, and doesn't get any, perhaps, unfortunately. Um, because I, I think the, the hypnosis and possession that's going place with her is playing upon her actual fears uh, and playing upon what she knows the real world to be like. Uh, and then this real world we know that sometimes we can't always trust the people that are supposed to help us and uh the lords of salem use that against her and use that fear of not being accepted and that fear of being uh if not accepted uh if not only not being accepted then outright being attacked uh by systems that are supposed to be in place to help people um so it's a very interesting film in a lot of ways but that was what i took away from it was there's just this kind of interesting attack, and throughout the film, Lords of Salem say some very sacrilegious things, attacking these systems of, of power, and I don't think, again... Or one in particular. One in particular. Uh, and I don't think uh, the film is trying to make a critique of, you know, social systems or anything like that. Uh, listener, I want, I want you to keep that in mind. I, I just think it's an interesting lens to which, through which to view this film, is that, you know, Heidi is unable to seek help because uh, help, as she understands it, is going to do more harm than good. Well, more on uh, why she doesn't seek help uh, later, I think, but thank you very much for that analysis. I think you're very spot on in what you're reading there, Mr. Dalster. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, what analysis bring you? 
Wow, I really enjoyed that reading. And, I mean, I think you were selling yourself short that, oh, well, we can't read into it, you know, a critique of social services. Like, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going too far with her giving Mr. Zombie too much credit. Um, but I feel like you could see a critique of social services within it. I mean, you know, where are all of these safety nets that one is supposed to be able to rely on the community? And you have this community like Salem, which, you know, is small enough to have you know, 30 or 40 people that are descendants from the original witch trials to go and mass suicide themselves at the end. So it's obviously a, a, a close-knit enough community that there is, like, some legacy going on. It's pretty big, though. I'm not sure the population. I know it's, you know, a pretty major suburb of uh, Boston. I mean... Right. You know, that's one aspect of the film I really didn't like, the mm -hmm. whole explanation at the end with uh, the radio reports and the, uh, the, the, the newspaper stills. Mm -hmm. I, I really wish it just ended with uh, the white eye of the Sherry Moon zombie on top of a stack of bodies. God, me too. Cut to black. Maybe, that would have been great. Yeah, maybe that news report over the end credits, <clears throat> but I don't like it as part of the film proper either. I yeah. would have loved or, it if it was just uh, a cut to black with the Madonna of dead bodies. Yeah. Would you have accepted Done. it as the, um, you know, the post-credits sequence? I, I just, I mean, I would like to. I mean, I would like it better than there. I mean, I would like it still less than not at all. Yeah, <clears throat> I mean, I, I think that's a good point, Dustin. But I, I guess Alex, I, I wasn't trying to sell myself short. I guess what I was saying was, uh, with this film, you can't really analyze the text. You can't analyze the text proper. There's just not a whole lot to dig into. Right. And you can dig into the subtext, but there's not a whole lot of subtext either. So you kind of go, got to go into the sub subtext. Yes. If that makes sense, is what I was trying yeah. to get at. So speaking of the sub subtext. I am calling upon our, our listener to do me a solid because I have been racking my brain since we've seen this movie, so that's like about a week, about what all the phallic imagery means in this movie. There's and a lot. There is a lot. There, a bit. There are the dildo masturbating priests. Yes, there are. Or cardinals? Well, there's, there's I don't know, there's priests and bishops and cardinals. And yeah. yeah. Oh my. So... <laughs> Um, there's obviously the auto fellatio vomiting black goo scene. There's continuous references to Cox very brains and there's very uh, both there's a lot of very violent uh, references to both male and female genitalia. It's a little yes. rapey. Very. And so but I've been trying to chew on what this could possibly mean for the film. Is it a you know, we have this, like, power struggle between these really, quote, empowered women, but are they empowered because they're still a slave to this kind of masculinely aligned entity that's obviously so masculine that he has, like, little icons of himself, like, masturbating with their, you know, neon dicks, like, mm -hmm. everywhere. Like, so there has to be something there, but please tell me what it is, because I think there is something really cool there, but I just need, like, a push in the right direction. I'd like to hear that reading as well, dude. I, I just want to say I feel really bad for the listener who didn't watch this film and then listen to this episode, because your brain's probably on fire right now. <laughs> so, um, I would really like to hear the phallic reading on, on this piece, because there's some cool stuff going on there. Um, so, but what I'm going to talk about right now is not phallic imagery, it is... Uh, guilt, uh, societal and personal guilt, repression of guilt, um, and guilt itself. So as a society, we have this, we have this thing, um, Americans in particular, other countries definitely, where we have these mass, awful massacre type situations, and then we love to pretend that it never happened to kind of purify ourselves. 
And so what this movie is demonstrating on the, the aspect of societal guilt is that coming to bite you really hard. Just the constant reminder of, you know, that thing you did when you, when you killed, you know, maybe 12 really bad people, but then you killed like probably a hundred or 200 more in really, really terrible ways. Well, we're going to get you for that. And even though um, Hawthorne kills, you know, the baddies in the real Salem, there, there were maybe... There what? were no witches. Yeah. There, there, there were, were no, no witches. witches. Hey, yeah. spoiler alert, listener. Witches aren't real unless you count Wicca, and I don't, because that's a different thing. That's yeah. hippies. That's yeah. a whole other thing. Yeah, and they're thing. awesome. Hey, good for you. Yeah, Wicca, yeah, Wiccans. yeah. But, it, but 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 all you are are hippies. You're not like anybody in the movie. Yes, yeah, you're not like the the villains of the Lords of Salem. No, the, those didn't exist. So Nathaniel Hawthorne Haven't just ever killed existed. a bunch of people. Yeah, I'm. I keep saying Nathaniel Hawthorne. He didn't do anything. He wrote a lot of great short stories. You know, an apology for it kind about, of about you know his ancestors' naughtiness. But but yeah, I, I get what you're saying, Alex. Yeah, I mean, even in the context of the film, even if there were you know evil witches to be burnt, probably a lot more innocent people got burnt than just witches, right? Right. Yeah. And especially since Hawthorne just, like, he goes equally as cuckoo, I think, as Heidi goes in the film. Yeah. Like, the, the anthropologist or sociologist or historian, whatever he was, he does that reading at the end mm-hmm. where he's like, the journal just, you know, is gibberish and... He doesn't make a lot of sense. So he obviously lost his mind, and then, you know, that trickled down through the ages and then is manifesting itself in, into um, Heidi's situation. But the thing is, is that this, this guilt, this kind of pervasive guilt doesn't go away, and whenever it rears its ugly head, it's really unpleasant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, I have a really relevant example that I just learned of today, and I want to preface this by saying I don't condone the actions of this retailer. Okay, nobody ever no, keep talking. Yeah, keep talking. At me. keep talking. Okay, I don't condone the actions of this retailer. I don't buy things. I make all my own stuff. Right. Um, okay, so there's this retailer for teens, 20-somethings, called Urban Outfitters. Urban Outfitters, do you know what's going on? Uh, I know a little bit. Okay, so... Oh, the uh, schoolgirl shot thing. Is that what you're talking about? Kinda. Yeah. Well, um... So Urban Outfitters is a really interesting retailer. They have, it's mostly like hipstery clothes, but they also have a lot of stuff that's in really bad taste. Um, Today they came out with a product, or recently, that was a sweatshirt that's had the Kent State logo, the university that in the 70s opened fire on a group of peaceful protesters. Right. But it was well, covered... the National Guard opened fire right. on protesters from the, Kent State. The university yeah. didn't, didn't actually, actually open fire. But it was also covered in what appears to be fake blood. Oh, my. Wow. And we're selling it. Wow, Urban Outfitters. Wow. Yes. I knew people were making fun of Urban Outfitters. I wasn't entirely sure why. And, and I knew Kent why. State was involved in some capacity. Wow, yeah. Urban Outfitters. And so yeah. they, um, they were able that to... That is the s- thing. They sold one. I don't know if it was a limited release item. They then took it off the website, issued an apology, gave this completely unbelievable excuse of this was an vintage inspired item. The red splotches were just the natural fading and dying of the product. <laughs> no, I'm not even kidding. Like they were backpedal, backpedal, backpedal. They were trying to cover themselves so hard. 
Which who somebody got fired for this? Yeah. I hope so. Somebody's but they've married. done stuff like this. But before. Th- this is the sort of thing like the Salem witch trials, where uh, a society or a community or an area or a region refuses to own and remember their culpability. Yeah. In terrible actions. So we, we and and then and then they 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 do things in bad taste because yeah. those things sort of erupt to the surface, don't they? Right. Yeah. And it's and you know and then whenever you get this big uproar about oh my gosh why would anyone do this but. And I'm not saying that this was a good, smart, ethical, or wise decision, but, you know, we should remember that this was a terrible tragedy that happened. Mm -hmm. And you're right, like, these little bubbles will just erupt up to the surface. I mean, the the same thing with that one woman who went as a Boston marathoner, like, post-explosion. Yeah, for Halloween. Halloween. Yeah. Same kind of situation. Awful, terrible, bad decision, but... It also didn't warrant her getting her getting death threats or mm-hmm. her family getting, you know, their house vandalized either. Yeah. So societal guilt wreaks havoc upon, you know, the the rest of the world after that event happens. And, you know, this kind of cultural repression we kind of do to ourselves, it does the same thing that, you know, I'm about to talk about with individual guilt. You know, repression of guilt leads to, like, these severe psychological and physiological symptoms. You know, I would say, even go so far as to say that a lot of symptoms that Heidi experiences during the film could be the the very, very severe manifestations of having some guilt she's dealing with. Psychosomatic. Psychosomatic symptoms, Mm -hmm. like hearing things, feeling things, Mm -hmm. you know. I mean, some of the stuff that happens is really creepy, but it doesn't get absolutely... It doesn't get absolutely, like, what is real and what isn't until it's implied that she shoots up again at the very end. So, you know, you can read it as, oh, well, did this even happen? Because it seemed like most of those crazy things were happening during dream sequences or these sequences where she was just spaced out, you know, or drugged out completely. And so manifesting, these symptoms manifesting into anxiety and paranoia... Mm -hmm. And then she self-medicates for it, and then that causes her implosion at the very end. And this is obviously, dear listener, you know, not the correct way to deal with guilt. You know, going back to Dalton's comment about the societal systems failing her, you know, who could she have talked to? I mean, did she have anyone? She had AA, I guess, but that didn't work out as we saw, and she had that dude and, you know, her fellow co-hosts on her radio White show. White White Herman. Yeah. But they call Whitey, actually, which yeah. is funny. Yeah. They, they care about her, definitely, but... But yeah, other Hermans... Never... Yeah, other Herman's, like, real pissed when he thinks she's, you know, back on the H. Like, yeah. he has his feelings hurt because, you know, he, he, thought she, he thought she trusted them enough to let them know if she was having problems. Yeah. I, that's how I read that. I think, right. that's, I think that's fair. And, you know, she doesn't want to admit she's having these problems, you know, wanting to go back to the drugs, and then she... This, her man, mind just invents this whole story and you know these women that wanted to take care of her are truly her enemies and then she bursts a head crab and you know is the madonna on a as one does that's some craziness guys yeah i like that reading a lot though i mean yeah i, I think we particularly uh america i can't speak you know how the dutch deal with the slave trade or how germany deals with the holocaust or spain does with all the bad shit Spain's done. The Inquisition, I think, which is very applicable to what we're doing right now. Well, they've done a lot of bad things. Um, But uh, the way America chooses to deal with the 
probably the now a dozen or so really bad things we've done. Um, maybe more than that. I'm just really thinking of the really outrageous things that we've done. Uh, violence against uh, protesters throughout the civil rights movement, not just people protesting Vietnam. Um, you know, genocide of uh, you know Native Americans. Uh, really, the Mexican American War, the Spanish American War. Uh, just a lot of dumb bullshit that we did. Um, I don't feel like we talk about it a lot. We talk about the genocide of the Native Americans a little bit, and we talk about slavery a little bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, we touch on the big two. Yeah. Uh, but we don't talk about a lot of the bad stuff that we've done. Um, Japanese internment camps. Yep. Uh, treatment of the indigenous peoples of the Philippines when we were heavily entrenched there. We've kind of chilled out after World War II a little bit. Um, there's still, you know, technically a territory to the United States. I mean, yeah. that's why Manny Pacquiao is a senator. So I don't really feel like we've dealt with a lot of our badness. Uh, and I think it's not too soon to make a Kent State joke, but... Yeah, uh, Urban Outfitters, probably not a good way to deal with it since it's not something I feel like we've dealt with as a society. I think too soon isn't a matter of time. It's a matter of how well we've gotten over it, maybe. Mm -hmm. Well, I think... Processing it. Processing it. Processing it and really acknowledging the evil as evil. I think that's part of the problem. Right. What, uh, you know, Nathaniel Hawthorne, who's sort of name-dropped with the Heidi Hawthorne name, the Senate of the fictitious Jonathan Hawthorne, is he is, like Heidi, haunted... By the guilt of yeah. what his ancestors Because he found did. out later in life, right? Yeah. That he was descended from the Hawthorne that, that was involved. I mean, leader. It, it wasn't Cotton Mather. It wasn't like the main guy in charge, mm-hmm. you know, there in, in the Massachusetts colony at the time. But he did feel this sort of sense of guilt, and he, he felt the need to make this sort of confessional catharsis, which made him quite unpopular mm-hmm. in the Salem area, uh, because people did not wish to talk about it. And that is sort of this American uh, procedure in which when we deal with guilt, we, we stuff it, right? Right, and, but I would like because of all the damn Irish people that came over. I would like to note, though, (laughs) what a contrast this concept is, the Kent State thing, you know, these recent atrocities, and comparing that to what's happened in Ferguson. Mm, Like, that, I mean, there's, there's, we have a whole huge national guilt about it, you know, people are finally learning the extent, because I didn't know, the extent of which we're militarizing our own police forces, and how crazy that stuff is getting. But the fact that, you know, at OU, they're, we're having these vigils called hands up, you know, don't shoot, you know, campuses are, and entities are taking notice. And I feel like if you kind of process things as a nation, I think that's whenever you're like, okay, well, this is what happened. We admit what happened and we admit what happened is evil and justice may or may not have been served in the way we wanted. But that's whenever you can actually move forward from that point. Right. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's, it's an awful thing that happened in Ferguson, but maybe we might actually be able to move forward and change something because of it. Oh, you know, people probably said that after bad things happening in Birmingham, Alabama in the 60s. And right. Blip. I'm an eternal optimist. Well, by I, Dalton standards, at least. I, I think <laughs> there, there needs to be the need of recognizing that there was an ongoing problem that brought it about. That there was something that was actually problematic about the situation up to point in Birmingham, Alabama, mm-hmm. and something systematically, systemically still problematic that Absolutely. was bringing up the point uh, oh. to Ferguson, Missouri. Which wraps, and that, that's the, con- that's yeah, the confession Which, point, which right? wraps around to, I mean, everything we, we all ended up having to say about Alex's analysis, I think, is that when you don't process guilt, either personal or societal, bad things happen. The analysis that I would want to bring at this point, uh, and it may dovetail with some of the things that have been said so far, is I do want to go ahead and read this film 
as though it is all a hallucinatory fever dream on the part of Heidi Hawthorne, that she has fallen off the wagon, and that uh, the you know the use uh, imagery use of uh, the the big George Melier voyage to the moon uh, over the over the uh, the, the, the bed uh, in her room that we are distracted by that because of the way the camera is ogling um, certain other aspects of uh, Miss Moon Zombie. Mooning uh, us. Uh, yes. But otherwise, what we're seeing is uh, this this sort of dreamlike state that's sort of coming about, and that she's really falling back into addiction. And what, what the reason why she begins to fall into trances and begin to miss meetings, begin to miss work, and begin to sort of disconnect from her social connection is because the needle brings her something that changes her. The, the phonograph needle, in this case. It's the phonograph needle that makes her a whole other person. So it, it's the phonograph needle that does it. And because of the phonograph needle's injection into her system, you know, via music, that she is now, you know, thrown into the stupor, it begins to affect her. And she does many of the things that junkies do. I mean, not only does she want to play for work and that sort of thing, but she begins not to avail herself to any of the social systems that are provided for her and to begin to sort of project sort of negative imagery of those that might try to help her. Well, so she's actively locking herself off from people that care about her. Right. Not going to NA anymore. You know, mm -hmm. she's going and then she's not going. Then when she goes, you know, there's one moment where she thinks that maybe she wants to go into church, she projects this sort of dream on the priest, right? And of course, there are abusive priests, but not all priests are abusive. And she might have found help there. But one thing it seems that I, I've noticed, and I've done a lot of work with addicts in my line of work, is that oftentimes there is this sort of projection of all the bad on all the people so that I do not have to, I don't have to avail myself to help. It, it's sort of this self-destructive cycle that sort of begins in the process of addiction. Why do you want to do everything in the world to help this girl? And she does everything she can to shut him out. Whitey Herman. Right, uh, wants it wants to help her more than anything, and so the the camera begins to look at him in a way that's a little clingy. Yeah, that's a little you know invasive, and, and the and the fact of the matter is she needs that guy. Any addict needs that person. But what addicts do is they project sort of a clingy, uh, sort of invasive, uh, sort of micromanaging imagery on those people who are doing the most to intervene and help them. And that way that gives them some sort of mental excuse to finally shut them off. And then they begin to associate themselves with only people who are supportive in continuing the habit. So the only people she continues to maintain a relationship with are the three witches, right? Who keep feeding her the witch's brew mm -hmm. and keep on... Yeah, enablers. You know, enabling her to keep on doing this thing that she's doing. And then the film ends as addiction ends and overdose in probably the best 24 hours of your life. Or worst, right? Where absolutely the effect of all of the things is the strangest, most uh, experientially different and unique and sensory overload that, that a person experiences. But then it ends in terrible, awful death. And so, to me, it, that, that seems to be more what the film is doing. And again, that's part of why I don't like the tag at the end. Right. I actually find, with that reading, the film is much more interesting to me. Because if this is just, oh, this is a weird film about witches and, you know, she's having the demon baby. I mean, that's interesting in that it's really stimulating and it's upsetting because it's, like, crazy stuff going on. 
but it's it doesn't really grasp me. It doesn't make me feel invested in it. At the end, whenever Heidi's playing with the dog, I'm, I'm not, I feel bad that I'm not really sad that she, she, you know, ended up as this, you know, whatever interpretation you want to do is literal or that it was just an acid trip. It just doesn't really, it doesn't resonate with me, but it might resonate more if I saw the film again with that reading of, you know, this is what she could have had and this is what she lost. You know, and, and I've talked to people that have done LSD and some kind of harder drugs, and they kind of attach all of these, you know, meanings to their experiences on these drugs. But at the same time, you got to keep in mind it's your brain producing chemicals. Like, you know, all of this stuff is Heidi's brain just compensating, producing all of these images and her reaction to them. So, the fact that we were hard-pressed finding readings, if you take Dustin's reading and lay it on first, then you're like, well, yeah, it makes sense, because do acid trips make sense? Not especially. Not really, unless you're, like, trying really hard. Side note. The Good Treasure Honor cast does not inherently uh, dissuade, uh, or rather condemn, the use of psychotropic drugs for spiritual enlightenment. Correct. Yeah, do whatever you want, and just, you know... Just be careful is what I'm saying. Yeah. I mean, everything that you experience is just a chemical reaction in your brain. But, you know, keep that in mind. Be it's safe. important. Uh, be don't, self- don't be stupid. I was just going to say be self-aware. But, uh, yeah. I'm going to say don't be stupid. Don't be well, stupid. I think that, you know, for being self-aware, hopefully you're not being stupid. Well, that would help avoid it. Then but I want failed I, enlightenment, comrade. I, 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 I wanted to stay stronger yeah. because I want to make sure folks are safe. Because yeah. I well, care also, about the yes, listeners. Also, don't, yeah. Don't, don't be make stupid. Me, don't make us culpable for something you did. <laughs> Stop it. It's all, all about guilt and drugs and stuff. But like also, if you find meaning in your acid trip, then, you know. All right. Cool, yeah. man. Write it down. William S. Burroughs would like to read it. Yeah. Well, moving on right away, then. Thank you so much, dear co-hosts, uh, for your analysis of uh, this film. I think it's been a lot of fun. It's been a really, yeah. really yeah, fruitful conversation uh, that we've had so far. And, uh, of course, you know, we'd like to know what the dear listener thinks about what we've said so far. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. At no point in your rambling, incoherent response were you even close to anything that could be considered a rational thought. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. I award you no points, and may God have mercy on your soul. Also, we would uh, like to um, make a final sort of verdict about this film and uh, give it a shelf or trash or an else or instead. So I ask you first, Miss Bohannon, shelf or trash, and what are your else's or instead's? I would say that this is, uh, this is a shelf. I don't even know if it's a stream it, and I don't plan on watching it anytime soon. But given the reading, the excellent readings of my co-hosts, and then, you know, that wombo comboing with mine, I think I would give it another go uh, now that I'm prepared for what I'm in for. You're almost not ready to see it until you've seen it. Yeah. That checks out, yeah. That's That totally checks out because you've seen it like four or five times. Yeah, at this point I think I've seen it four, yeah. Yeah, and, and Dalton and I and Arthur, I believe, were, no, Arthur saw it in theaters. I don't believe so. No, I oh. think it was the first time I watched for him as well. Okay, so... Four innocent virgins being sacrificed to my God. Yeah, we were... At I'm the, sorry about you, that. You were, like, you were Heidi standing on our dead bodies. That, I was. I apologize. You're 
I want to see you. That's actually how that evening ended, but you don't remember because of the psychotropic drugs and the drinks. Oh. Oh. Okay. But I thought, (laughs) I thought the movie, given the reading, I'd give it another go. Um, I'm pretty hard pressed to find out an else. Just go do some drugs if you want to have an else. That's like all I can think of, honestly. That's fine. Well, Rob Zombie kind of fits the Salvador Dali quote, which says, I don't do drugs, I am drugs. Yeah. You have taken drugs if you've seen the film. So. Yeah. So. <laughs> don't take the brown acid, man. Or, I mean, and you can do any 60s, 70s, because Zombie said he wanted to set it in the 60s and 70s, and it just didn't work out for some reason. Budgetary purposes. Budgetary, that's a big thing. Um, so the fact that they're all dressed that in an antiquated, 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 that was a word you're looking for fashion. Um, you know, so any devil maybe do it type movies, possession films and doing drugs. Take a pick. Yeah. Thank you very much, Miss Bohan and Mr. Dalton Stewart. What say you? You know, I am going to say shelf it. Um, I'm going to actually, let me dial that back. I'm going to say borrow it. I wouldn't even say stream it because it's not streaming. Um, but borrow it, because I feel like it's a more intimate experience, and I think it's good to have somebody who's seen this film walking you into it. Um, I feel like it's more a more fun experience, probably. Did I provide you any aid at all, though? No, you just laughed. Um, <laughs> you just and then grimaced at the TV and yeah. choice parts. It's a, it's a fun experience to have like with somebody who owns this film to watch it with you. Um, I'm not going to say you have to own it. I would say it's a worthwhile experience. I would say it's, it's a very well-made film. Uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh there's better horror movies like this, though, um, and some of them are streaming. Um, but I, I would say definitely uh, borrow it, which is a sl- maybe a half a step below stream it, I guess. Oh, I'd say that would be a half step up from stream it. Because that requires some effort. Because you have, to, you have the physical copy. That's a good point. I would say borrow it, too. Yeah. I, I, and I also, I think that comes with another person who might watch it with you, which is fun. This is, this is definitely a more fun in groups film. Yes. But I would say quasi-else slash quasi-instead. Uh, I would say check out House of the Devil, which was one of the very first films we did for our very first Shocktober. I think maybe the second episode of our Shocktober marathon. I believe so. Which has a very similar uh, one or both, either A, definitely set uh, decades ago or kind of uh, in House of, House of the Devil's case, actually set in the early 80s. In Lord of Salem's case, wanted to be set in the late 70s, and that didn't really work out. Um, but, but they're looking back on the past. They both use um, old-school filmmaking um, styles, uh, both in terms of positioning camera, editing choices, uh, and they also uh, slowly ratchet the tension up until the very end, and they turn, crank it all the way up to 11 and just blow your face off with absolute craziness. Um, I would also recommend Barbarian Sound Studio, which we already talked about, um, which is uh, probably the best of the three, I think, um, of those three films, uh, House of the Devil, Lord of Salem, and Barbarian Sound Studio. Barbarian's probably the best, um, I think. Uh, it is the craziest and the most obtuse and the most uh, opaque, uh, but most the most fun and the most interesting and the weirdest and the strangest and uh, just absolute insanity in that film, and that's what kind of made me think of it while we were watching Lord of Salem, is how experimental it is and how, how different it is. So I'd say check that out. Uh, lastly, I would say uh, check out uh, 2013's uh, Evil Dead, uh, because they both kind of are horror films that the gateway into the film itself is addiction, um, mm. uh, recovering addicts, and kind of um, recovery as a metaphor for horror, really, and being an addict as a metaphor, uh, a horrific thing. 
Uh, and they can both, Lords of Salem and uh, Evil Dead 2013, uh, can both be described as movies that hate you and want you to be unhappy. Um, although one's got a much more happy ending than the other, so. There is that. But, but, but they're all fun films to pair with one another. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I am going to go ahead and say shelf, but only shelf for horror fans. Yes. I mean, you, you really, you really, <laughs> you really do need to be a fan of horror film, and which I happen to be. And so it's just, it's, it's a genre that I just love, and I, I know quite a lot about, and I've done some writing about it. And so I, I bought a copy of it when we came around time to do the show. And if you buy the the dual Blu-ray DVD combo, you also get a four track sampler from uh, music of uh, White Zombie. And so that's kind of fun too. For my else's, though, um, what I would want to say is let's go all the way back to 1922 and take a look at Haxan, which is a, uh, a sort of a pseudo-documentary, a Danish film, silent film, about witchcraft and the abuse of witches uh, oh. during uh, sort of the Inquisition. Uh, some references to what goes on in America here and there. It's told in seven vignettes, some very, very interesting uh, Double exposure photography of witches flying, which will be reminiscent of a certain scene in The Wizard of Oz, you might recall, whilst a tornado is going, uh, which happened about, what, 15, 20 years later. And so it, it, I think it's fascinating, and it sort of is uh, something that's a cinematic classic that touches on the subject matter that we're dealing with this evening. Moving on forward to some more uh, cultural antecedents, I think you need to take a look at Rosemary's Baby. Uh, Roman Polanski uh, can direct him a movie, and uh, Mia Farrow's great. The movie's just, it's, it's solid, and it's very disturbing, and it's sort of the same uh, editing style, I think, in many ways, as The Lords of Salem. So I think you'd appreciate that very much. As far as set design and dressing and the love of wallpaper, perhaps the somewhat fetishistic love of wallpaper, you should take a look at Dario Argento's, and I was not going to say Suspiria, which is sort of the superior film of his uh, mother's trilogy, these three films he made about witches, but I would say the second film, Inferno, which is currently streaming on the Hulu Plus, and uh, I think it is uh, much closer, it's much more elliptical and elusive as you're trying to watch what's going on, but definitely gives you just a lot of these strange senses. And I think there's sometimes some little score references that happen here and there that I find to be quite interesting. Dustin and I hit on this when we were watching this film. Uh, there seems to be a strange undercurrent of wallpaper fetishes in horror films. Just horror films we've done uh, on this show that have wallpaper fetishes, The Pact, Innkeepers, Maniac. That was just last year. 
I mean, those all three of those have some very striking wallpapers. And, of course, you know, the obvious examples like The Shining. Yeah. And so, yeah, what, what's up with horror movies and wallpaper? We'd like to know, dear it's listener. This wallpaper is tasteless do and terrifying. A, uh, do us a wallpaper reading, if you will. Just give us <laughs> oh, is that, and see the wallpaper paste oh, that's God. holding it up to the wall. Listener, if, what's you, behind it? if you give us a Room 237 type analysis regarding wallpaper, I swear to God we will block your comments. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, we're could they give those comments? That's the real question. How could that happen? I think it probably would happen via that magical means known only as social media. Uh, Arthur's not here, so I'm going to ask Alex to tell me a thing or two about social media. Where can we be found anywhere on the interwebs? Well, you can find us on part of the interwebs at the Good Trash Genre Cast on Facebook. We have a Facebook page. You can also find us at goodtrashgenrecast.com. At gmail.com. Right, at gmail.com, correct. Sorry, stutters there. And this week we've gotten new likes um, regarding people liking the page. We've got likes on specific posts. But then we've got a couple of uh, bits of feedback and comments. One from a longtime listener, Brigham Cole. He was commenting on how last week I brought up that 4chan, the movie, being kind of the premise of American Psycho. And he said he wanted to take a caveat from that. He said he will confirm my comparison between 4chan user base and the character of Patrick Bateman, although I would refine that the projection of, of the B image board uh, is more aligned with that. American Psycho has also given the birth to a, random, a number of memes which the B random image board has used. And then he attaches a picture of a image from B where it says, check these rules, and it's him wearing the shower... Uh, oh, good lord. Yeah, from B. The raincoat. And I've seen yeah. it before, um, and I did want to, I read Brigham's comment, and I realized that I wasn't specific enough, and so I was talking to Dustin before the show, and I do want to highlight that whenever I was referring to 4chan, I really was referring to B. I know that there's a bunch of other cool boards on there, like VG for video games and traditional games and, you know, anime and cosplay and whatever you want to find on there, but uh, B is full of this, the kind of scary anonymous trolls, hackers, and Patrick Batemans of the world, so yes, you're, you're completely correct in that. Um, our second bit of feedback from the book face is from a, a Justin A. Wallace. He said that Brigham Cole turned me on to the genre cast, and I have, he had definitely gained us a new fan. Welcome, Justin. Hey, welcome, Justin, and thank you, Brigham. Oh, and there was a slight conversation. I told him to like us and rate us and recommend us to all his friends. He said that he would do that and that it's great to have such an in-depth discussion about movies to listen to since I'm a filmmaker as well. Oh, thanks. Hey, well, you're for filmmaker, Justin. One thing we want to mention is coming very soon, October 21st, 7.30 in the Post Meridian. That's PM if you're following along closely. At the Paramount, which is downtown, Bricktown area, Oklahoma City. They're on Oklahoma City's historic film row. Uh, We're going to be doing a screening of uh, local filmmaker Nick Sanford's Tempest Fugit. And uh, we're going to be doing a live show directly following. That's right, y'all. We're going to bring the analysis in a room, and you're going to be in it with us. Our first ever live show. I'm very excited. This is a free show. All the time. 
This is a free show. There will be no magical editing. Mm -hmm. And so uh, it's going to be a whole lot of fun. Dear listener, come out, bring a friend, bring a couple friends. It's going to be a really, really good time. The Paramount's a really cool location. It's a really neat venue just to be at. And you'll get to hear all the stuff that I say that normally doesn't make it to air because it's too embarrassing or terrifying. And and rather, Nick's film, uh, Tempest Fugit, is is really fascinating. Uh, 45 minute or so. Yeah, it's a short film. It's quite good. Um, I like it a lot. Uh, Scary film that's sort of, I mean, you know, stylistically, it it, it belongs in some place alongside Lord of Salem, although I would probably put it more in a place with The Shining Mm -hmm. and also uh, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master. So if you want to give some sort of visual cues that are connected to that film, uh, I think those are all there. So take a look at those if you want and come see Tempest Fugit with us all. That's October 21st, 7.30 p.m. We have that as an uh, event on Facebook. So you can go and check it out and get all the details, get yourself a map, check the weather, know, you know, what to eat in the location. They do have concessions there. They have drinkies and they have coffee and they have food, food and popcorn. So um, bring your hungry self, I guess. Absolutely. Come here. Come out. Make it a date. Yeah, you get your food right there. You can sit with the food inside the theater and uh, take a look at the flick and then listen to some fun banter from uh, yours truly and my illustrious co-hosts. Mr. Dalton Stewart, do you know anything else about means of social media by which one may have a conversation? You know, Dustin, I got I got to share something with you, buddy. I've been having a lot of pe- trouble lately making peace with some of my subconscious desires. Really? What desires? Oh, you know, these 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 wicked thoughts burning inside my head and exploding in the juices between my tweets. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> you can find <laughs> The good trash genre <laughs> cast. I still got it. Come at me. Uh, you can find the good trash genre cast on Twitter at good underscore trash. And we'd be so happy to have you there. I, I think Justin Wallace actually um, started following us on Twitter as well. So awesome. I, I really like that we have uh, quite a, a good chunk, I, I guess three that I know of fil- uh, listeners and such that are our filmmakers, that being uh, Nick Sanford, uh, Justin Wallace now, and Caleb Bessley. Listener, if you're a filmmaker and you like listening to us, um, that always makes me feel good, uh, because I don't, I don't want there to be boundaries uh, between people who do uh, film criticism, or more specifically what we do, film analysis, uh, and, and filmmakers. I think there should be more open discourse. I think we should all get along, because we all like movies at the end of the day, and that's what it's all about. I don't feel like we should be building walls. So, listener, if, if you make movies or aspire to make movies, let us know, because I just think that's nifty, and I, I dig it. I think it's cool. Hey, we're all about promoting local art. We seriously are. I mean, that's one thing that I've always wanted from the beginning, when the show began, and I think we all together share the same vision. And so anything we can do to help promote you, uh, we would love to do that, because we like movies a lot, and we like to see you know what could happen uh, cinematically uh, with anything that you're doing. So yeah, by all means, contact us. Be our friend, and we will be your friend. As far as feedback and shiz coming in this week, uh, Vesley, uh, really making it known how cool he is. Uh, he wants people to know his name because he said the only reason I like driving to school every week is because I get to spend time with at Good Trash. Aww. Oh, my feels, buddies have just been pushed. You guys. Worms the cockles so of cute. my heart. I uh, would if I had one. Thanks, Vesley. I appreciate it, bud. Uh, no suck it, Vesley, after that one, huh? No, no, no suck it, Vesley, after yeah, that one. He said that. a nice thing. Yeah, um, don't you feel guilty. So, Ongoing tre- guilt. Tread lightly, motherfucker. <laughs> You're Deal. on my good side for now. Deal with your guilt. Deal I'm not dealing with my guilt. Deal with your guilt. I'm Irish. That's how we get through the day. We repress it. <laughs> 
Because the Irish are impervious to psychoanalysis. Uh, you're damn right. Well, you know what Freud said about the Irish. Yeah, I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if you actually do, I'll see you again. Who says I want to see you again? Don't you? <laughs> you should see your face. Don't you? Of course I want to see you again. <laughs> what Freud said about the Irish is, we're the only people who are impervious to psychoanalysis. Hmm. Yeah, he said that. I know he did. Um, lots of retweets, lots of favorites. As always, thank you guys. Um, it means a lot. Uh, it, it really does. Um, obviously, we have to thank Brigham. Brigham also um, mentioned us and um, Justin Wallace on Twitter at the same time. So thanks for that, bud. We also got another new follower in the form of someone by the name of Blake Trench. You can follow Blake Trench at X, that 70s guy. I don't know what his Twitter feed looks like, so maybe don't do that. Uh, but, you know, I appreciate new followers. So Why are we where? Exactly. Your mileage may vary. But uh, I like new followers, so whatever. Um, and that's that's about it this week. Excellent, excellent. Of course, you can follow the show by subscribing at iTunes. You can also follow us at Stitcher Internet Radio or just the good old-fashioned website, which is goodtrashgenrecast.podbean.com. And uh, we would love just to keep the conversation going because really, dear listener, and we say this so often, but we really, really, truly mean this. We are all friends. We are all friends already. We're going to watch movies and talk about movies together anyway. But the reason why we do this show is so that we can do this in a way that can be presented to you in a neat little package to keep a broader and more meaningful conversation that's even bigger than what we have going right now. We touched on this last week, listener, but uh, Wednesday, um, thats we're recording on Monday, September the 15th. Uh, Wednesday, September the 17th, will mark the two-year anniversary of, of the first episode we ever dropped. That was uh, episode one over John Carpenter's Assault on Precinct 13. I don't recommend you listen to that episode. We're much Not better. Not at all. We're much better than we were then. But, um, you know, we were just thinking about this the other day. You know, we're not blowing smoke. We really do uh, love your feedback. Um, and it means a lot to us. Dustin's right. We are friends. We would continue to do this even if we weren't recording it. But we've been recording it putting it out into the ether. For two years now, sans, you know, a little break uh, for those longtime listeners who remember. Um, but, you know, we've been going strong for a while now, nonstop. And, um, you know, we, we do this show because we, we love um, movies. And um, it's basically a book club for us that we get to share with the rest of the world. Um, and it's it's nice that you guys write in. And it's nice uh, when, when you let us know how much you appreciate the show. So thank you so much, uh, both new listeners and those who've been with us from the very beginning. Um, Malls the top, guys. Right. Absolutely. Thank you very, very much. Well, guys, you know what? It's probably time to play the game. Now, Milton Bradley has cooked up a ghostly game. Witch, witch. You try to move through the spooky house that's full of surprises, but wonder the wicked may turn you into a mouse. <laughs> or the whammy ball may drop and the witch's broom sends you back. If you're careful and reach the charm circle, you win. Which, which? A Milton Bradley game. We're not going to exactly play a witchy game with the game this week. No, I don't have my board out with the triangular thing. We ask for the signs and the yeses or nos. No, not that sort of game. But we are going to play a game about the Pandora's box film. The Pandora's boxes, particularly of films, that if you open the box and play the record, terrible things will happen. And so we're going to talk about our favorite Pandora's boxes. 
That's right, your favorite Pandora's boxes, brought to you by the Lords of Salem. The Lords of Salem, when you're pregnant with a head crab, have an abortion. <laughs> and she tried. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, that... <laughs> my it is just unchained today, guys. I'm saying some weird stuff. I'm sorry. Well, it's the movie. Yeah, I, that's not the my source fault. source material. Well, you know, I think there is an effective quality to uh, sort of surreal material. I don't write the stuff ahead of time, for the record. This is also true. Miss Bohannon, what are your picks for favorite Pandora's boxes? Well, um... I have the only Pandora's box I will ever need, and it's a literal box in the form of Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, don't open that box. Mm-hmm. Don't open that box, mm-hmm. my friend. And, you know, don't look at the stuff that comes out of the box if you have a, you know, if you open it, because then you're okay if you don't look at it. I like to think that Raiders... Also see our episode on Raiders. I like yes. to think that Raiders of the Lost Ark helped uh, the people of Germany deal with their societal guilt over the Holocaust. Probably not. No, probably not. They seem to be handling it better than a lot of countries deal with uh, stuff, though, as far as I can tell. I went to high school with an exchange student that was a Holocaust denier, so I don't know. Oh, well, never mind then. Well, thank you very much, Miss Bohannon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, what are your picks? Well, um, I was going to say this and else, but it fit well with the game, so I decided to save it for the game. Uh, and that's a film from 2011 uh, called Kill List. Uh, it's a very, very small horror film. Um, that I, I can't more rec-ly, more highly recommend to you. Uh, if I had a pick during Shocktober, I'd probably make everybody watch this. Much like Lords of Salem, I don't quite know how to how to pitch this movie to you. Um, it's a much more straightforward uh, story, although it meanders a bit on purpose. Uh, so I'll just read the IMD, IMDb plot summary, and that is, Nearly a year after a botched job, a hitman takes a new assignment with the promise of a big payoff for three killings. What starts off as an easy task soon unravels, sending the killer into the heart of darkness. Uh, so that's The Killist, directed by Ben Wheatley. Um, With a direct reference to Heart of Darkness, so he must yes. go mad at the end. Oh, uh, man. It's, it's, a, it's a movie. Woo, Lord! I gotcha. Uh, it's crazy. So uh, what I, is the box in, in question? For the this box one? in question is the contract itself. Because ah. uh, he has several opportunities to walk away from this job. Um, and it, it turns out to be much spookier than he thought it would be. Don't make no deal with the devil. It'll mess no. you up. No. And there's plenty of other Pandora's boxes I thought of, but we're running long, so I'm going to go ahead and kick it off to Dustin. I've only got a couple that I want to mention. Uh, there, there's one I want to get sort of an honorable mention to, in that it's there's not an actual object unless you count the mosquito caught in amber. But certainly a Pandora's box wow. is opened in Jurassic Park. Nice. Classic. And, Another Spielberg. And crazy comes out of that. And unexpected crazy for that. And so I just want to, again, sort of an honorable mention, side mention. Interesting how much the, uh, the modern Prometheus uh, comes up as a Pandora's box in uh, horror and science fiction. There is that. And it, well, that's a, that's, that's a sort of conservatism of science fiction. Yeah. Is this idea that if you delve too deeply, you'll pull mm-hmm. things out that are mm-hmm. yeah, not meant for man. See Event Horizon. Correct. Uh, another uh, Pandora's box that I would like to mention is, is sort of obvious and is one of our, our early shows, our very first Shocktober. We did a Hellraiser show and the, the Lamarge device. And it's yeah, this crazy, cre- the scariest Rubik's Cube you'll ever see. And, uh, it, or maybe the sexiest Rubik's Cube you'll ever see. If you're into that. But um, if you're not, it'll ruin your day. And perhaps that of your entire family. Yeah. <laughs> As it does. You know, I thought you mentioned Jurassic Park made me think of another one, Dustin. And it's a film that I, I love that I don't bring up enough on the show because I feel like it's underseen. And that's uh, Splice. 
uh, with Sarah Pauly and um, Adrian Brody and the guy who directed Cube, mm-hmm. uh, whose name I can't freaking remember. Um, but watch that. that. That's another science Pandora's box movie. And man, Splice is a movie. Woo! It's a trip, guys, and it's really good. Um, hang with it. It, it kind of falls apart in the third act, but it's a, it's a solid flick and very disturbing. I like it a lot, though. For my final pick, though, um, I want to talk about a Pandora's box that's sort of more fun. You know, try to get, try, again, like Jurassic Park has some horror elements to it. Of course, Hellraiser is obviously a horror film. So I want to break out of the horror mold for just a second. And I want to talk about the board game in Jumanji. Oh, no! Don't play the board game! No! No! I mean, no. It's, it is. And then you better bloody finish it. Mm hmm. Because, man. I still haven't seen that because of the giant spiders. There yeah, are I'm not seeing it either. There are very bad CGI giant spiders. There's a lot of bad I probably can handle it movie. now now that the CGI is kind of bad. You know what's not bad 40. in that movie? Robin, Robin Williams. Robin Williams. Yeah. Aww. That's right. That's right. I feel like we can talk about him now a little yeah. easier. It's a little bit easier. Well, you know my happy thought to you, Robin. Just saying. Moving right along. Dear listener, we'd love to hear your Pandora's box suggestions, selections. Tweet and or Facebook them ASAP because the feedback is what makes us live. In fact, we're all dying right now. You have to help us survive through your feedback. So make it so. Make it happen. we got to move right along and conclude the show as we always do with what's got us fired up this week in pop culture. Dalton Stewart, are you fired up? I am. Um, quite a bit. Uh, duh. I feel like Arthur mentioned this a couple of weeks ago, maybe even a couple of months ago, uh, but uh, the Tom Hardy film, or the film starring Tom Hardy, I should say, Locke, uh, came out earlier this year. Man, that is a good flick. It, it might come up again when we do our uh, top ten lists at the end of the year. Uh, I liked it that much. I think it's that interesting, that engaging, um, that fun, and that thrilling of a film. Uh, it really is. I'm glad to hear that you're liking that movie, and I have to say that I'm very frightened for our end of your list, because I've been to the cinema, I think, three times this year. Um, I've been watching a lot of... Here's the deal. You know, Netflix is trying to bury their DVDs by mail. Don't let them do that, because the way I've seen most of the, um, the indie films that came out this year that I've seen, I saw on DVD via Netflix mailing, uh, because th- the way it falls, a lot of your independent cinema comes out in the first six months of the year. Um because they get down on the festival circuit from the year before, and they start landing on DVD. So the things that actually get theatrical releases in a given year will probably be out in, on DVD by October of that year. So you can get caught up uh, if you live in a, you know, a flyover state like Oklahoma where we don't get a lot of... Uh, we get some independent film. We don't get a lot of art film, though. Um, and we're severely lacking in international independent film. A lot of British and Australian independent films we don't get. Um, and there's some, those are some great ones. Uh, that Lock. film you mentioned was a British film. Lock. Oh, Kill Us, yeah, from uh, 2011's British film. Uh, Lock is, a, is another uh, British production. Um, so, yeah, keep your ear to the ground. Don't let Netflix bury those DVDs on you, because it's a great way to get access to those films. I feel like, Dustin, you'll pick up. And you've seen a couple of things on DVD that came out this year. So. I don't have Netflix DVD. Yeah, I know, but... You've seen them on DVD. You've bought them and come to my house. Dumb, dumb. I have done that. Um, I'm also fired up this week, listener, uh, about True Detective. Again, mm. it's been a couple months since I mentioned it. Uh, I rewatched the whole series. I got Alex to watch the first episode. Oh, man. Um, man, I just like that show so much. It I don't. Yeah. Fantastic. I got the soundtrack. I, I've just been reimmersing myself in, uh, in Carcosa. And, uh, God, such a great show. I, I mean, I can't wait uh, for season two. 
and I might be involved with something regarding True Detective coming up, so uh, stay tuned for that listener. I'll give you more details as I have them. Ooh, that's spicy. Finally, finally, finally caught up with Paul Thomas Anderson's The Master, which Dustin name-checked a little bit ago, and I can confirm not seeing both Tempest Fugit uh, and The Master. A lot of visual nods to The Master and Nick Sanford's uh, Tempest Fugit film, which he'll, he'll be the first to admit. He loves Paul Thomas Anderson, um, so is, is a big fan of his visual style and, uh, you know, kind of pays homage to him. Uh, man, PTA is a heck of a filmmaker, and The Master is... A lot like the Lords of the Salem, but less scary, or scary in a different way, maybe. Um, mm. That's a trip, but definitely worth your time, listener. Um, if you hate it, then blame it on me, because uh, it's not for everybody. Because he made it. Well, I, I'm suggesting it. You made if it. you wouldn't have listened, watched it without me suggesting it to you, then you can blame me. Oh, okay. Because he made it. I didn't make the master. I wish. Because um, then I'd be a master of filmmaking, am I right, guys? <laughs> So I'm glad I finally got to see that anyway, listener, and that is really all I'm fired up about this week in pop culture, mostly older things. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Miss Alexandra Bohannon, are you fired up this week? I am fired up, and it's not about Dota. That's nice, right? <laughs> um, <laughs> I honestly haven't been able to play a lot because my schedule's been really busy. Um, no, I'm not going to talk about Dota. That's my goal this week. Okay, so <laughs> I will talk about two um, interesting things that got me fired up. I didn't know this, but House MD was posted to Netflix, and I I was a religious watcher of House MD until it just kind of fell off my radar in 2012, um, and then I had to watch it using, like, sketchy, like, Korean streaming sites, and then it'd be bad quality. Um, but I finally got caught up, and I finished the whole series. Series finale was... A series finale, it had a character's reunion, even the ones who died, and I'm not going to spoil how that happens. Um, and I appreciate that. There's just, you know, some TV shows, and I'm sure you all will be the first to admit it, they just need to be put out a lot sooner than when they go. Probably even season three, House could have been done, but um, it went on for eight seasons, and I stuck out for the bitter end. So. Sometimes you got to put that horse out of its misery. I prefer four great seasons and one solid ending to four okay seasons, two shitty seasons, and one atrocious season with an atrocious ending. Yeah, you know, tell the story and then wrap it up. That's Dexter, the problem. We're looking the, at you. Oh, Dexter. That's the problem. Uh, and cable, you know, cable dramas seem to be avoiding this pitfall a lot. Uh, or not even Breaking cable bad. dramas. Breaking Bad avoided it. Uh, the Sopranos. According to a lot of people, avoided it. The Wire avoided it. A, a lot of these early groundbreaking cable shows didn't outlive their welcome. Then you have your Dexters, your Weedses. Um, I have a feeling you're Walking Dead's eventually. Some shows are just going to outlive their welcome uh, because they're making too damn much money. Uh, but sometimes you just got to let the story be told and call it quits mm-hmm. uh, before you end up like, I don't know, MASH. Whatever. It, yeah. uh, shows that went on too long and got shitty the longer they went on. Yeah. Started out great and got bad, which is which to me is always the worst, is when they started out really oh, good. Oh, yeah. House was so good. House was amazing. It was, it was my favorite TV show for a really, really long time. And, you know, it'll still have a very warm place in, in my heart for introducing me to Hugh Laurie and a bunch of really great actors. Um, you know, Robert Sean Leonard, who was in Dead Poets, and, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. has been a lot He's of great. other stuff. Um, and so that's an interesting thing. Finish that. Um, the other thing I'm fired up about this week is a interesting new short TV shorts called, um, it's a series called Play It Again, Dick, 
which is, I don't know if you, nobody knows probably very much about the Veronica Mars universe except for Arthur and Arthur's, uh, you know, significant other and myself. But um, if you do, uh, so Veronica Mars was a TV show made into movie, kickstarted, big thing, blew up. Um, Play It Again Dick is a um, CW's, like, little online streaming service exclusive. Um, I think it's free. And basically, it is a meta look at Veronica Mars. So one of the characters of Veronica Mars was named Dick Casablancas. His actor was named Ryan, in real life, is named Ryan Henson. Ryan is playing himself in this new short trying to get a Veronica Mars spinoff show about Dick Casablancas. That sounds funny. Huh. That sounds yes. really funny. That, yeah, I think there's comedy potential there. It's, it sounds really great. Not knowing a thing trailer. about it, I think it yeah. sounds like there's things You there. probably don't really need to know much about yeah. Veronica Mars. Not like, knowing anything about Veronica, Veronica Mars other than it's about a teenage PI and what you just told me. There's a... Some, and there's, Dick Casablanca. They're laying the Casablanca references on real thick. Yeah. yeah. Sounds and, like a little bit. Yeah, Dick Casablancas is His a last name's funny, Casablancas. funny character to, to boot. Funny. So he's trying to, and so the creator of the TV show and, you know, Kristen Bell, Jason Doring, Enrico Coglioni, you know, all the big names yeah. are Veronica Mars, are playing themselves, reprising their lives, and then trying to Playing themselves, with, presumably? Yes, the, dealing with him, yeah. and then they're going to show the show being filmed. So it's... Really cool trailers out. Um, give it a watch, and I would. I don't even know if you need to know anything about Veronica Mars. Probably I like, not. I like meta stuff, so that sounds interesting. Yeah, hilarity ensues. Well, like Dustin, uh, we end where we always end on your side of the table. What's got you fired up this week, bud? Uh, uh, this is going to be a little bit of a journey back in time, a little bit of a journey into history right now, and they're actually current events, things that are happening right now that involve movies from way back when. Uh, beginning with the first news item, coming in from the Ukraine. Now, usually news items for the Ukraine... But music is always delivered in wooden box. Is it delivered in wooden box? And if it's not delivered in a wooden box, then it's usually sad. Well, part of the reason why much of what happens uh, right now in the Ukraine is because the Ukraine used to be part of Russia. It was part of Russia when Sergei Eisenstein made his uh, landmark film, The Battleship Potemkin in which there's a famous sequence called the Odessa Steps sequence, mm -hmm. and a baby carriage runs down it. They're rebuilding the Odessa Steps right now in the Ukraine. And this makes me happy. I mean, it seems like they might have better things to be doing right now. Yeah. Just a little there, bit. There's, there's other Russia's concerns. Though they're in a ceasefire right now, things are looking a little more hunky and or dory. But Crimea's still in a problem. Is, uh, is peace offering. It's peace offering. Is we remake sets from famous <laughs> Russian cinema and you chill the fuck out. <laughs> <laughs> Something like that. But I, I just find that very interesting. And any, any, any time when a nation sort of owns part of its famous cinematic history, that's the thing that makes me happy. Another thing is making me unhappy. I'm fired up in sort of a negative way. Universal Studios uh -oh. owns a great many... Sounds, sound stages mm -hmm. and film sets, one of which has been preserved for almost a hundred years now, oh, no. is the Phantom of the Opera. And uh, they are talking about tearing that thing down right oh. now. And there are oh. petitions all over. This is, this is Lon Chaney's amazing transformational performance. There's a second version that's with sound after 1925. Don't watch it. Watch the earlier version. Okay, uh, if, you're, if you haven't caught Phantom of the Opera yet. Check the silent version. It's, it's by far superior than the sort of sound, experimental, sound-adjacent 
uh, thing that happened in the 30s. But that being said, uh, it, this is this is an important piece of history, not just for horror fans, you know, which I happen to be. The fan of the opera is a big deal. Yeah, Lon Chaney is a big deal, and uh, they're talking about turning it down, and that, I think it's a travesty. You know, I, I mean, there's there's a, there's a certain point when you have to like you know a, a, a national historic site, you know. There's there's some there's a, there's a point at which you have to say you cannot burn down you know the building in Pennsylvania where they signed the Declaration of Independence you just you just can't do it now I realize I realize the Family Opera is not the Declaration of Independence I I do realize that however it's still kind of a big deal for film it is you know like. listen I don't know if I've ever told the story when I was fourteen I went to Universal Studios uh, in California you've been there. And I got to go on the Backlot Tour, and it was one of the most sing- single most transcendent experiences of my entire life. Between that and my, spoiler alert, uh, first viewing of Fight Club, uh, those were probably two events that led me being on this podcast. Um, because being on, seeing those sets up close and personal is great. And I, you know, they have limited real estate. Sometimes I got to tear shit down. But you know what? Just because Whoville's there now doesn't mean that... The uh, Bates House isn't still overlooking it. The Bates House was overlooking Whoville in 2004. Nice. That's cool. Uh, so, you know, Universal does is really into preserving the history of film. But a lot of the times, just because they're the only people that let you on to where they keep their shit. Mm-hmm. Um, and they want to share that with the movie-going public. And don't do that. You know, we, we like having things. There's a petition on the interwebs. I'll put it in the show notes. I never put anything in the show notes. And I'll put this because we got to stop this. Can't happen. Yeah, that bums me out. I'm going to sign it. So, yeah. Very fired up in a negative way. Thank you so much for all of that diff- information, though. Dear co-host, dear listener, thank you so much for listening so far. I know it's been an ordeal. And so we thank you for being there with us. Next week, we're going to take a look at yet another horror film. We continue our Shocktober. Shocktober! Scary movie marathon of two months, even though it's Shocktember, sort of, right now. With James Wan's... The Conjuring, yeah, which is a true throwback to the 70s. Yeah, real at, popular 2013 movie. And so, and probably quite scary. And you've probably seen it before, and yeah, it's scary shit. And we're going to bring us some analysis to that. But in the meantime, dear listener, do hear this. Two years into this program, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for all your listens and your likes, your subscriptions and your follows. Thank you so much for being part of the conversation with us. Thank you so much for helping us to know that what we're doing here matters because we actually believe is that the movies matter and conversation about the movies helps us to understand how they matter in our lives and help make our lives matter because movies can indeed make us better people, more aware people, more awake people who can interact with our society in a more meaningful and perhaps more human way. So take a look at a movie, have a great conversation with a friend, and until then... We'll see you next time. Those fingers in my hair That sly come hither stare That strips my conscience bare It's witchcraft And I've got no defense for it The heat 
is too intense for it. What good would common sense for it? I'm sorry, listener. I don't know if this is going to make it in. I just heard Dustin's wife, Crystal, laugh from the other room. When any of us get Crystal to laugh, I know we're doing a good job. It makes me really happy. Uh, (laughs) It's a good sign. (laughs) All right. When you arouse the need in me, my heart says yes indeed in me. Proceed with what you're leading me to. It's such an ancient pitch, but one I wouldn't switch. Cause there's no nicer witch than you. You know, when we first started doing the show, when we first did the first October, I mentioned that I wasn't really a big horror fan. The longer we do the show and the, the more movies I get recommended to me by Netflix because of this show, um, I think I'm more becoming a horror fan. I think the problem is just don't like shitty horror movies. I like well, really that. good horror movies, and that's it. Well, yeah. Um, and there's a lot of junk out there. Yeah, they're cheap awful. to make. Well, the same with comedies. And yeah. they're fun to make. Yeah. They are fun to yeah, make. If you're, yeah. I mean, if you're trying to figure out how to make a movie, it's a good way to do it. So, I think that's the problem. Uh, I, I think I'm, I'm kind of a poor snob. Mm. Yeah. When you arouse the need in me, my heart says yes indeed in me. Proceed with what you're leading me to. It's such an ancient pitch. But one that I'd never switch Cause there's no nicer witch than you